We couldn't even get that right. Yeah. <laughs> I think I missed. <laughs> I think I think it'll be it'll be perfect. Hello, and thank you for joining the IPG Media Lab from each of our respective homes. Uh, I am your host, Scott Elterson, and this episode uh, will be recorded on Wednesday, March 25th, 2020. Um, today, I have with me my co-host and the Director of Strategy at the Lab, Adam Simon. Adam, say hello. Hello. How are you doing? How's work from home? Uh I'm just fine. Uh, as uh, as I showed you earlier, I have a, a, a cool boom arm for my podcasting microphone. Yep. So I'm really settling into this working from home situation. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a shoebox that is propping mine up. Uh, so things are going well. Today, I want to welcome our first two guests of the show. Uh, first up, we have Joshua Locock, the U.S. Chief Digital and Global Brand Safety Officer here at UM. Uh, so Joshua, welcome to the show. Welcome to Floor 9. Welcome back. It's great to be here, but not there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we also have John Stimmel, the Chief Investment Officer at UM. Uh, John, welcome to the show. Oh, happy to be here. Uh, we're, we're glad to have you. So before we dive into today's show, I just want to quickly mention, uh, as our longtime listeners know, that our show, we mostly talk about media futures, topics like Facebook's Project Libra, uh, the future of play, uh, and all the major hardware announcements from big tech companies like Apple and Google. But in today's times, we want to be more topical and actionable. Floor 9 will be focusing on short-term futures, providing information, intelligence, and analysis on COVID-19's impact on media uh, and the advertising landscape. We are all in this together and want to make sure our listeners have the best information possible in order to make the tough decisions every company is facing during these challenging times. So if you have any questions, areas of interest that you want us to cover in the coming weeks, please reach out to me, uh, scott.elchison at ipglab.com. So with that, Adam, Joshua, John, are you guys all ready to dive into today's episode? Yeah, let's go. Yes, absolutely. John, I want to start with you. What is happening in the media market today as a result of COVID-19? Well, today might be different than tomorrow, and it was definitely different than yesterday. But as we saw, as things started to materialize against the work-from-home dynamic and then um, that behavior, and then all you saw and you see all these major events and sporting events um, either get canceled or postponed. All of our clients understood that that the world was changing, the dynamic of their business was changing, and we had to do what we needed to do with our media partners to make sure that we were uh, also adjusting to those times. So uh, what are our media commitments? What are the things that we're doing next to today, tomorrow, and next week? What is it that we want to pull back? How do we want to change those messages to make them more relevant to consumers during this time? Um, so we've been kind of spending a lot of time with clients, and obviously it's been uh, a mad scramble with a lot of them to try to anticipate those things based on what we already know to make some decisions about the future with what they are, are investing in the, in the overall market with consumers. Talking about our media partners, obviously, you know, like I said, the, the Olympics are now postponed to 2021. Sports have been canceled. It's kind of the impossible happened. So how are our media partners responding to this? Like what are what are kind of, you know, the conversations that you've been hearing from the market on how like they're looking to navigate these changes that have been thought of as impossible to happen? Yeah, for the for the most part, they've worked with us because obviously they're learning as they go to and they're trying to be as understanding and accepting of the advertisers they've partnered with for decades, um, recognizing that during this time we need to work together to figure out these solutions. So for the most part, I think those have been going well. Um, 
We also recognize their business requirements are also have some critical demands. So particularly on the linear side where you have um, people wanting to get out or clients wanting to get out, there's things that they also need to fill and do. Um, so you've seen a lot of uh, the ad council work and the, and the CDC about um, exercising proper hygiene and self self-confinement. So we've partnered with our, um, with them as well as our clients to see if there's time that we have that we don't have the right messaging. Is that something we want to donate in order to help mm-hmm. propel the right messaging to the right audiences during a time when they need it? That is super exciting. And so then how would that affect brands then? Like, would that be just like, like, a, like a charity investment of like their media time and their media dollars? How would that go back to our brands and, then, and their dollars and how they're spent? Well, the first, the first part of it is what can we do to move or shift and, and redeploy these funds when I either I know I have a better understanding of my supply chain, uh, my ability to sell products because maybe my distribution centers and retails are closed. I don't have the mm-hmm. right e-commerce at strategy or ability to get my products to consumers where they need it the most. Um, and if we can't make those adjustments, then what do we do that maximizes the current investments we've made that are kind of sitting still where they are and unable to be utilized the best possible way. Let's make, let's donate that time to the proper mm-hmm. places to, in order to do the right messaging to help everybody. Kind of like taking that, that social good aspect of things, you know, shifting what media dollars we have available uh, and kind of putting them to the use in, in, in any way. Uh, I think that's great. And I think that's a strategy a lot of brands are kind of thinking about right now is what can I do through our media dollars to help and support during these times. This also comes at a time when upfronts are a big part of each year's negotiations and conversations. So with the upfronts being canceled and production is kind of TBD on whether it's going to be live streamed or not, what does this mean for negotiations and media costs as we think about going into the 2020 year of planning? Well, it's unlikely it'll happen in the near term or at least in the usual schedule that exists. I think at this time in previous years, we're probably gathering the client budgets, having discussions with them one-on-one about the marketplace, anticipated uh, forecasts on costs or inflation, and then how ultimately do we want to address it through an approach that will deliver the maximal value. That clearly can't happen because we're still focused on what we're going to do next month, next week, um, much less the rest of 2020. So talking about 2021, I think would be um, uh really hard thing to do at this point, along with the fact that, you know, all the production capabilities and the things that were being done that they would have shown us in May, which has also been canceled, um, are also are also being shut down and, and on hiatus. So being able to invest against the things that we know are going to happen is the way that you maximize value in the market. And if you don't have those understanding or when these events will come back, um, how that will impact scheduling. It's really hard to make those determinations. So we basically have told clients that that's nothing that we need to worry about today. We are going to get a market assessment and send that to you and give you an uh, update as things transpire. But we don't anticipate this happening until well later into the year, or at least until we understand what recovery will look like as we get out of this current situation. Thinking about um, today's market, and um, obviously we don't know if this will be going into a recession, obviously, because that that does take two consecutive quarters. Uh, However, just kind of thinking about the past, you know, and potentially, you know, brands spending through uh, one of those recessions, like, like, there, like, there can be benefits, knowing that media is at a lower cost, like there are some strategic things that brands can do. So have you already started or talking to clients about, you know, kind of learning from the past to see what they can do now to kind of prep for a potential opportunity? Uh, yeah, that's absolutely. That's a great question because I think that the the answer to the situation is not a one size fits all, right? There's certain mm-hmm. clients that actually can't do business and they have to hold back funds and redeploy and re- remain flexibility to be ready for that 
recovery period. And as history shows us one thing, that we always will come to a recovery period after we go through difficult times. Um, so anticipating when that is, is half the battle. But also there are clients that are also seeing, okay, I have a relevant message and a consumer need is out there for this product or brand, or is it a trusted value proposition that they need to see these institutions as still being there with them during the times of crisis. So everyone is kind of looking at, do I invest now? Do I invest later? Do I pull back and redeploy sooner than later? So everyone is looking at this differently, which is why every conversation we have with clients is a different conversation about how do we maximize that opportunity in the market so that your business is there when people need it. Well, John, thank you so much for that insight. And I want to just quickly shift uh, the conversation, knowing that this is getting you know into challenging times, this does bring up an, an issue of brand safety. So Joshua, thinking about brand safety during the time of COVID-19, what, is, what does this mean? What should brands be thinking about and how should they be positioning themselves when it comes to their messaging? There's a couple of things that, you know, that I'd like to point out to clients, which is one, you should not avoid the terms coronavirus or COVID-19. As John shared, this has a broad impact across everything in media, whether it's sport or recipe website. So there's not a single publisher not writing about it. So removing it from your keyword block list is something that you need to do now and need to do ongoing because as we enter the recovery period, there'll be coronavirus recovery stories in every publication and the Olympics will come back in 2021 and it will still be called the coronavirus Olympics then. Uh, the other thing that needs to be kept in mind is this is a difficult time for publishers with advertisers removing spend. So if you do have dollars out there, you actually need to be supporting these publishers that are covering this important factual event where this stories need to get out. Otherwise, what happens is misinformation flourishes or worse, you have profiteering opportunists step in and fill that ad inventory with ads selling N95 face masks at exorbitant prices or promoting quack cures. So advertisers need to be in this environment now. So Josh, so what it sounds like, this is becoming the new normal. So don't don't avoid the term, kind of leverage it to your advantage. And uh, at a time when publishers need us the most, uh, it, is, it is worth like your time to spend and spend around this content. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about leveraging it to your advantage, but there is something to call out, which is this now becomes much more focused on brand creative messaging and makes sure your messaging is both appropriate and the creative is appropriate to the time. So that means... Demonstrating social distancing, don't exhibit behaviors that are no longer available to people, those sorts of things. No one's going to blame a brand for coronavirus just because your ads are in and around this media. Got it. But should there be, like to your point, like when it comes to like like this idea of respectful content, is there a need to redo maybe like an entire creative asset pack that a brand has been working on for the past three months to, to, to make it a bit more sensitive to what's going on? I think it's I think it's worth revisiting those things. The other one that I've had discussions with clients about is if everybody's inbox is the same as mine, there isn't an email they haven't got from anyone that says we're with you at this time. And knowing the disastrous open rates you traditionally get on email, those sorts of messages about how you're supporting the community, how you're available to work with customers, that's the entirely appropriate messaging you should be actually getting out in media right now. And just in general, I mean, any channels you think bode, bode best to that? Uh, well, we've seen people pivot aggressively, you know, in terms of consuming news right now. So 
being in and around news publishing sites would be a mm-hmm. great place for brands to be right now. Thinking about this, like from an industry perspective, like what are we doing proactively? Uh, I, I think John had mentioned a little bit about uh, the work to work with the ad council, but um, you know, again, what are you kind of thinking about from a brand and safety perspective and how are you working uh, with other members of the industry to kind of be proactive during this time? So one of the things that we've done with UM is we've pulled together a coalition of partners across the world to develop uh, PSA spots. So the Ad Council here in the US is doing a lot of great work. There are not the equivalent organizations elsewhere in the world. So we're donating media inventory. We've got creative agencies creating custom creative. We're officially working with the World Health Organization to get that messaging out because the challenges in each market are very different and unique. So donating digital inventory, even working with third-party verification providers so that uh, we can get ads out in, which will sound contrary to the position of brand safety, but we're identifying high-risk environments that are known for publishing misinformation and actually in purposely targeting them with factual messaging to direct people to the World Health Organization. So it's a big pivot for brand safety where you're targeting risky sites to get the right message in, to get people to the right information. And that's a responsible way for us to behave right now. That's very cool. Yeah, that's super cool. Facebook especially seems to be doing um, some good work as well of trying to make sure like like the right content is circulating uh, that isn't mis- misinformation or disinformation or anything like that. So um, it seems like especially Facebook is learning. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, you know... Out of crisis comes opportunity, and it's clearly this is a time that the industry is demonstrating that can get out there and work together to protect the public and serve the public interest. So that's uh, super interesting. Is there uh, any research on this that's being done? Uh, So Integral Ad Science, who's a third-party verification company, did some flash research just to see what consumer perception was of brands next to coronavirus COVID content. And broadly speaking, the public was accepting and respectful if brands were next to that content in appropriate ways. The only exception obviously was in the travel and tourism category because we're all being told to shelter in place and not to travel. The consumer sentiment is that if you're there in an appropriate way, it is an okay place to be. That's good to know. And I feel like that's like a good positive sign uh, for any marketers, brands or clients that are out there just like getting that feedback, uh, I think can, ha- can help inform decisions because I think sometimes there, there, there is a, a shyness to, to, to activate. Uh, it, it can be difficult to navigate. It's an easy time to be hesitant and to say, let's step back mm-hmm. from marketing because there is so much controversial negative news. And at least that research says that you can lean forward and lean Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Um, so then, you know, kind of thinking about that, like moving forward, you know, what what are some important things that our clients should be thinking about as they kind of traverse this over the next, you know, few weeks to months uh, from a brand safety perspective, but then also, you know, from like our investment and in, in, in market perspective. So, uh, Joshua, we'll, we'll start with you. There's three things I give. The first one is obviously don't avoid it because of brand safety. The second and third one is this is a very important time to revisit what you're doing in local search and store information. So think about your SEO, especially with so many retailers adjusting their hours, creating safe hours for at-risk groups or reduced trading hours. So making sure all that information is up to date. The third thing on my list I'm saying to clients is this is a very important time to look at addressable dynamic creative, especially with real-time product inventory data, because you don't want to be driving people and driving demand for 
products that are either not available in store or you cannot fill, fill that demand, especially with a lot of e-commerce providers even shifting and pushing out delivery times. So it's a great time to be thinking about addressable creative. Mm-hmm. And then, John, what about your from your perspective? What should our kind of client should be thinking about? Well, I think for one, and we talked a little bit about before, was the idea of messaging. What is it that I want to say to consumers that is uplifting, positive, building trust, transparency, compassion, the things that I think consumers really want to hear from brands as well as their loved ones. I think they can be part of that conversation in a personalized way. Um, I would say that the a lot of the work today has been reactive. I think it's understanding the proactive response to what your business and what you want to do with your media uh, resources in the future, making sure that you're applying the right flexibility to your decisions as best you can. I think that is critical. And then the last thing I would say is um, understanding this impact on behavior that we're all seeing, media behavior and consumption. So typically we see kind of a straight line trend of things that happen over long periods of time. We are seeing dramatic differences in media behavior that will impact us in, 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 the, in the quarters and years to come. So the idea of linear viewing that was kind of dropping by 20% per year is now seeing double-digit growth is interesting, but maybe more reflective of a point in time. But the on-demand viewing and the streaming that you're seeing from particularly young ages as well as older demographics, that behavior might be here to stay. So that kind of acceptance of this type of on-demand streaming type behavior might accelerate in a way that we have not seen in the past and people subscribing to services versus watching through a linear device. All those things about um, being able to do that um, in the home will be critical versus the commuting, what they're not doing within a commuting. We're seeing a lot of the streaming on the audio is 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 becoming less relevant now while the, the commuting is 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 not happening as much in real time. You're <laughs> killing me. You're killing me. Stealing Adam's thunder. Yeah, I've got another one. I've got so, uh, okay. okay. So I, I just think that behavior, the impact of this point in time, that will drip that will even when we get out of this uh, t- period in time and see recovery, that behavior should impact plans in the future and actually drive the consumer experience even farther. Adam, what, what about yourself? What are some things that you've been thinking about that can be um, you know, actionable today for our, for our clients and marketers out there? I think you know the other thing that I just keep thinking about is um, brands who are seizing on the opportunity that everybody is stuck at home. A lot of people are working from home. Um, we've seen a kind of outpouring of uh, creative content being generated by people who were bored, stuck at home. Uh, and I think some of that is starting to show up from brands too. We see brands like West Elm are releasing backgrounds you can use in your uh, in your uh, video call, since we're all on camera all the time now, uh, and I think you know that's obviously a super simple thing for them to do. They had those assets already, but I think we're going to start to see some brands get creative with how they can sort of reach uh, reach a working from home population. Absolutely, and I think I think to all that point, we're actually going to have a great conversation later on uh, in the second half of this episode with with David Shim, uh, the CEO of Foursquare, and Hugh Griffith, the uh, UM Chief Product Officer, just on how those uh, consumer behaviors are changing at retail. Uh, so we're really excited for that. But before we go, um, John, you know, one thing that we definitely want to touch on is is sports, you know, g- get a bit deeper into the NBA, the NHL and, and the MLB. 
you know, how is the lack of live sports going to like, what's going to fill that really? I mean, there are, there are sports podcasts that are going to have to talk about, I guess, marble racing. It seems like ESPN brought back ESPN, the Ocho. And again, they have marble racing on there. Um, so what's going to fill that void? The Ocho. So yes, the Ocho. there's marble <laughs> racing and things like that. But we've seen a lot of um, classic re-airs of sports. So whether you're in a local market watching your the 1994 Rangers win the Stanley Cup again, um, which has been thoroughly enjoyable, or watching classic <laughs> NCAA basketball March Madness games. Like they, they've been using that time to fill those spots. Um, but ultimately, those negotiations and the ability to actually start those seasons has been all TBD and no one's anticipating mm-hmm. it. So a lot of the time and the, and the, and the talk radio has been, or as I like to call it, Brady Center, because all we're talking about is Tom Brady. Um, the, <laughs> N- the NFL has had at least things to talk about under the collective bargaining agreement that they've just finalized, as well as the trade deadlines in order to actually release people to free agency. Those types of events have actually been front and center for a lot of the sports that people are watching or at least talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's obviously always things to talk about and things to watch, but obviously the, the watching these players also experiencing the situation from home has also been an interesting experience and actually giving you more of a, this is not something that you are experiencing. You're experiencing it collectively with the rest of culture, as well as your heroes or your sports, uh, heroes that you actually see every day you know maybe we'll see a pivot from sports conversation to esports conversation Mm -hmm. as we start to see uh those teams uh you know realize and kind of deal with the lag and kind of uh actually have those tournaments happen live over the internet because they have the capability to do that so you know esports game streaming uh, again i think is something that you know brands can activate on today uh and really hit the consumers as they stay home uh and as they're playing fortnite call of duty warzone and all that uh, and uh, and then we also saw NASCAR was talking about is going to do um, and uh, a virtual sport race with actual gear and setup to actually uh, compete in races that they're going to um, broadcast, which I think is pretty cool. So you'll see a lot of innovation in the sports world, which I think will be really interesting. Yes, it, it's a time when uh, people are being forced to innovate. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of positive that will come out of this um, going forward. Uh, and speaking of innovation, um, we are all working at home. So I'm interested in hearing from everybody here. What are some work from home hacks that you each have to kind of help you throughout your day uh, and be productive or even, you know, unwind? Um, so Adam, how about you? How, what are some hacks that you've found helpful uh, in your time in quarantine? Uh, the most uh, useful uh thing that I could suggest is that if you have a Nintendo Switch, you should absolutely be playing Animal Crossing New Horizons. Uh, it is incredibly relaxing. Uh, and it is, mm-hmm. it's it's like, we're basically having a gaming moment that is the opposite of that summer when Pokemon Go came out and everyone was going outside and playing Pokemon Go. Everybody on the internet is inside on their Switches playing Animal Crossing right now. And if you, if you don't know it, it's a game where you you basically you fish and you garden and you decorate your house and that that's all there is to do uh, and it's uh, very rewarding and it has this weird kind of virtual sense of normalcy while everything else uh, in the world is pretty insane so highly recommend it. It's fantastic. I've been streaming that on Twitch. Uh, Joshua, <laughs> how, how about yourself? I'll give you my work hack, which is download the WhatsApp desktop client. Okay. With your phone lighting up with messages and emails and Zoom and Skypes and Teams and Slacks, uh, it's easy to miss messaging. WhatsApp desktop client has saved me countless times so far because people can actually get through to me quickly and cut through the noise. 
That's a great hack. John, how about yourself? What are some hacks from your from your home? Recess. Recess. So I have an eight-year-old eight who's on his third week of, of school from home. So when the days are absolutely crazy and I don't feel like I'm seeing him enough, I think it does also a little good to get outside and play soccer for about 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, so putting a recess in my every day has gotten me through every day. That's fantastic. Uh, the last thing I'll add to that is I've been wearing shoes around my apartment. It keeps my feet warm, and for whatever reason, it helps me focus. It feels like I'm, you know, in the <laughs> office and I'm working. So, uh, give it a shot. I We'd like to see you do that when you get back to the office as well, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, times are changing, so uh, maybe I will as well. So, with that, thank you both, Joshua and John, for uh, hopping on Floor Nine this week and giving us your expert insights uh, into the media industry and landscape as it is today. Uh, we'll definitely be checking back with you throughout the uh, you know coming weeks. And is there anything else that you want to plug? Where can our uh, listeners find you uh, on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joshua UNWW and stay home and wash your hands. John, how about yourself? Don't find me. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> come, come, come find me and uh, I'll get you in contact with John if you got the right, uh, the right credentials. Thank you both for joining and we're looking forward to staying in touch as these uh, days and weeks go by. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was a fantastic conversation with both John Simmel and uh, Joshua Lowcock. Uh, Adam, you know, what are any big major takeaways that you thought was just really stood out to you? No, I mean, I think the the, the tactic of um, of actually targeting against uh, sites that are uh, that are showing false information or maybe just low quality information and using the media space to message to consumers, I think that is uh, was not sort of intuitive to me, but I think it makes a lot of sense uh, and it's uh, an awesome sort of public service use of media. I can I completely agree. Um, that is not something that I would have ever thought of. So you know, it takes a team uh, to really kind of think of these great great ideas. Um, so with that, up next we have a, a fantastic interview between Hugh Griffiths, the UM's global chief product officer, and David. David Shim, uh, the CEO of Foursquare. So Hugh and David, welcome to Floor 9. Thank you, Scott. Um, and David, thank you and welcome to Floor 9. Thanks for doing this. No, no, excited to be here. Appreciate you uh, having me on. Uh, of course. I want to start this off um, with a question around uh, this new report that you guys have just released, trying to understand the purpose of it uh, and what were you trying to accomplish as you set out to produce this report? Yeah, I think the, the focus of producing this report uh, last week and now with the recent update that we're about to publish here is really giving people insights on the impact of coronavirus and how people consume the physical world. So by consume, I'm not saying necessarily buying things, but where they move, how do they travel? And it, it gets really interesting because I think this is one of those seminal moments for location analytics where people start to understand what is the value beyond just advertising, beyond just measurement, but really doing things that are public good. So one example that we, we saw recently that we published was that we only saw a 7% 7 decline last week in visits to bars and restaurants, uh, sorry, specifically bars uh, in New York City. And that was before they had announced kind of the lockdown, the shelter at home. So it really is kind of interesting to see the data to say, hey, is shelter at home required or not? Or is just a strong recommendation important? And I think what we found was like, 
by only seeing a 7% decline in visits to a bar, the shelter at home kind of order was really important because people weren't necessarily following those guidelines. There was a very interesting report on the New York Times over the weekend where they were using similar location data to understand how people uh, who were in Wuhan when this first started uh, actually started to travel out of that area and, and ultimately around the world. It's a very interesting report if you've seen it. Um, but I think, you know, if you think when this uh, this whole pandemic really started, I mean, obviously, we all realized that there would be a major impact across many different industries. Um, I think the impact that we're seeing is a lot uh, more significant than maybe we had thought at first when this first started. But, um, you know, y- your report is really drilling into certain key uh, verticals, right? I was wondering if you could just share any of the highlights that you've seen and how maybe certain uh, industries are more impacted than than others. Yeah, absolutely. So when we were kind of looking at the data, we broke it out into different cities as well as nationally, because when you think about coronavirus, uh, it was Seattle that kind of had the first kind of recommendation to work from home. You saw the the health care issues that had come up. And then you started to see that come up in other areas. So it was important for us to kind of look at how did this trickle across the United States as well as benchmark it against national averages. So with our data set, we actually broke it up by Seattle, Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, and the nation. So that was kind of the first starting point. And what you started to see was things like Seattle would be the initial indicator of what the rest of the country would do. Uh, because they were the first to kind of go in and say, hey, shelter at home, work from home. It's important to kind of have social distancing. And so if you look at things like travel plans, uh, Seattle was the first really to kind of see that drop, the strong decline. Um, But then you see that start to catch up with other markets like San Francisco then followed, then New York followed. And you start to see that steep decline across the board. Um, And there's obvious things like, so the Costco run, that was really interesting where Uh, Everyone kind of sees the news reports and everyone's going to Costco to buy that toilet paper. Uh, What was really interesting with that Costco data was that it's peaked early on, but you're actually seeing groceries see a higher growth rate now in terms of visits than you are the Costco's or the big box retailers. So that's an important difference there because people are going, when you think about Costco, there's, there's different ways you can interpret it. But when you think about Costco, people are going to buy very bulk goods. They're buying a lot of something. They're getting ready to kind of get ready to hunker down. When you think about groceries, they're more perishable items. So what you're seeing is people first went to Costco, they went to Sam's Club, they went to BJ's, and they went in and very large, made large purchases, but then they started to slow things down and actually move to grocery stores next to get the fresh fruit, to get the vegetables, to really kind of stock up on the day-to-day needs. So if Seattle is kind of what, a week to 10 days ahead, maybe, of some of these other markets. Are there things that you're seeing in Seattle now that are sort of what's going to come up in New York in the next week? Anything, any trends in that market that uh, we're going to expect to see in the next week to 10 days in New York, LA? Yeah, I think one that you're really going to start to see is uh, we're seeing foot traffic drop to malls. Um, and Seattle is kind of one of the leaders in that space in terms of seeing the drop to malls. But what's really interesting with that data set is that uh, people are going to malls, but they're going to different types of malls, or sorry, different businesses within the malls. So you see mall traffic drop off pretty significantly. Then you go in and you look at the businesses that are in those malls. Uh, you see a steep, very aggressive drop off when it comes to kind of uh, consumer goods like clothing that are not kind of core necessities on a day-to-day basis. So those drops are actually faster than you're seeing for malls. And you're going to start to see more of those trends where people are going to the ones that 
are really core items that they need on a day-to-day basis. So they'll still go to malls, but they need those core items at the end of the day that um, they're going to go shop. And you're going to see the drop-off in things like electronics. You're going to see the drop-off in things like clothing that are going to get more and more aggressive, even if a market or city doesn't shut down. Well, that's fascinating. Um, I mean, obviously, now with the stay-at-home uh, orders around the country, I mean, I mean, what are people doing now that they're stuck at home? I mean, is there anything in, anything in the data that sort of indicates what, uh, what, what's sort of taking up people's time now that they're, they're stuck at home? Uh, I think the stuck at home is really interesting, but I think to, we had talked a little bit about this before, but uh, outside of this podcast, but uh, the telecommuting is getting bigger and bigger. That's assumed because a lot of people now have the ability to work remotely. What was interesting was we saw Seattle see the steepest drop right off the bat um, right around kind of early March, where you start to see people working from home because um, we're able to measure mobile devices. Uh, we're able to identify where their home is, but we aggregate that data. We don't give the individual level data, but we aggregate it. And we see Seattle had the first drop. But what was really interesting was as Seattle dropped off and it continues to be number two in terms of work from home uh, increases, uh, San Francisco quickly caught on. And if you think about San Francisco, it's the tech hub of the world. Uh, in a lot of ways. And those folks are going more aggressive than any other market, faster than any other market now to go in and say, I am working from home. Versus like, we still see uh, the declines in New York nationally, um, not as steep as Seattle or San Francisco, but San Francisco has the steepest drop. So I think it is becoming more of the norm and it'll be interesting to see how this bounces back uh, once that kind of shelter at home, once the work from home kind of gets lifted. Are you seeing, I, I think I read in your report that there were there was a big increase in or a significant increase in people uh, shopping in the, the Home Depots or Lowe's, those home improvement uh, type big box retailers. Is that a trend that you're seeing across the country that people are using this time to actually do some form of home renovation? Yes. Uh, I, I don't know if it's home renovation or just stocking up on core goods, uh, but we're definitely seeing that. So Seattle, again, was the leader in terms of uh, the uptick in visits on a week-over-week basis uh, for hardware stores. Um, what was really interesting was uh, Seattle was number one. Uh, New York quickly followed after that. Um, what was a little bit unusual was Los Angeles didn't start to peak until the last week. So people in Los Angeles uh, did not start to see an uptick in kind of home improvement store visits until this past week. And I think that has a lot to do with what, you know, the way that California has kind of responded to the crisis and how to kind of uh, apply social distancing as a recommendation versus as a requirement. So I think you're seeing that kind of uptick. Uh, additionally, with San Francisco, that's where we've actually seen kind of a flat one. It's not that much different. We saw a small uptick over the last week, uh, but now it's getting back to that normalized rate. So that might have more to do with kind of the uh, the people home ownership in those markets more than anything. Well, they also sell very large containers of toilet paper in Home Depot, so uh, it's probably uh, also driving some of this. Have you thought about going forward about drilling into more uh, granular detail on some of the data? I mean, I would love to. You know, you think of California or, uh, as a a state, but if you start breaking it by urban, suburban, rural, I'd be very interested to know if some of these patterns. Uh, are different depending on the sort of the density of the state and the people. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So we are definitely kind of looking at expanding the number of markets as well as kind of regions uh, in the report to see those differences in trends. Um, because as you start to see things take place in urban areas, is that the same impact that you're seeing more in other markets? Where are you seeing that kind of impactful 
foot traffic. Because in a lot of cases, um, you're not hearing as much about in the Midwest in terms of uh, instances of coronavirus. It's still kind of in those early days. But as that starts to pick up, are we going to see the same patterns that occur across these other early warning markets? Yeah, I'm wondering if there's any sort of leading indicators in your data that would suggest there are markets that need to lock down sooner versus later because you're still not seeing that change in behavior yet. And yet you are seeing this uh, continued increase in, in, uh, in the virus in those regions. It'd be fascinating. 100%. And I think it's going to be interesting for uh, if you're a government entity to say, like, how much at risk am I? Like, if I make a recommendation about social distancing, if I make a recommendation to limit non-essential travel, to limit non-essential business visits, are you going to follow that? If the data doesn't show it, then it, it almost goes in and says, okay, it's going to take something at the state or federal level to actually stop this uh, kind of lack of social distancing, lack of kind of staying at home, lack of working. Yeah, I mean, if, if I were running the government, I'd be all over this location data and using it to help set policy. But I'm, I'm maybe they are, right? I don't know. And we're getting uh, more inbounds than we ever had. And it's Initially, it started inbounds where it's like, hey, can you tell us what's going to happen with our business? Like, what should we prepare for? Now we're getting individual brands and retailers coming in and saying, okay, should I be looking at this metric to say this is when stores will ultimately close in markets that have not been shut down yet? But I think the bigger thing that we're kind of seeing, and this is more marketer than it is more macro, is they want to know when the bounce is going to happen. Like, there's this idea that we've been talking with more and more retailers, more and more restaurants where there's this great reset that's coming. If you think about it, if the kind of shelter at home kind of scenario lasts for two, three, four months, um, it's going to have a lot of pent up demand on people that want to go out, that want to spend. But that pent up demand needs to go somewhere. But if you think about it from an advertising basis, uh, if people are slowing down on advertising, they're pulling back on advertising, that brand awareness isn't there. You're not getting ready for that pent up demand to kind of really explode. So there's this great reset idea that, hey, once people are able to go back to their normal patterns, their normal trends, um, they don't have those learned behaviors that they had previously, where they knew that every week I go to Chipotle, every week I go to McDonald's, every week I go to Burger King, every week I go to Ross, every week I go to TJ Maxx. These patterns are going to be broken. And for the right kind of approach, you want to get in front of that because now you can actually win market share at a rate that's much faster than ever before, because it's never happened that no one has gone, or the majority of the population has gone out and said, I am not going to shop. I'm not going to shop for three months. Now, every brand is brand new where you can change people's perception on what you're doing. You're really breaking the behaviors that they previously had. And it's it's, it's going to be really interesting because muscle memory is no longer important. Yeah, I mean, that is just fascinating because if, if you think about um, sort of the, the traditional audience definitions that clients would have had, and the fact that those are based on repeatable behaviors to some extent. And if, you, if you're now going to find part, parts of those audiences whose behavior is fundamentally shifting, we're going to have to essentially reevaluate who our target audiences are going to be to take advantage of the fact that some of these industries are going to bounce back quicker than others. And, and you know, you want to be a, ahead of that. So it's going to be fascinating as we do come out of this to tap into location data or other types of data to really understand what are some of those early indicators of a sector rebounding before another so that we can be really precise in terms of getting ahead of that and being 
there at the point that that demand starts to rebound. I think the location data is going to be a really important um, part of that equation, I think, going forward. 100%. 100%. And I think it's going to take many different tactics that people are going to approach. So right now, we're seeing things like a lot of delivery companies or people that have delivery options are going in and saying, we know that casual casual dining restaurants are shut down. Those people have a learned behavior of going out to eat and they sit down to eat and they're willing to pay potentially more than they would for a typical QSR. So we want to get in front of that audience. So what they're actually doing is they're trying to drive app installs. You're trying to drive activity within their application by going out and actually targeting people that have been to those places in the last 30 days pre-coronavirus club. So all of a sudden now you're seeing these people trying to change behavior where they're saying like, hey, these people have a set behavior. They have a set budget to go out and eat. I can actually capture that in the short term with very little competition. And I think this is kind of one of those unique opportunities for delivery where it gets more ingrained that people who didn't try Grubhub, people who didn't try Uber Eats are now going to go out and try to experiment. And I think it's even more important than ever for those sit-down casual restaurants to not think about pausing because you're going to give away market share right now. And yes, it's hard to get people to come in, um, but why don't you try to drive delivery? Why don't you try to drive pickup? And it might not be as efficient over the next quarter or two, but it's the right thing or you're going to give up market share. It's going to be even harder to win. Back. That's actually, that, that's a super interesting idea because I mean, I can I, the idea that you can take this opportunity, this moment where people's behaviors have changed to uh, to demonstrate the value that you can bring to the consumer that will live on beyond this period. It, it is a unique time to do that. And I mean, I think the, you know, the QSR, the, the, the food delivery sector, I think is an obvious example of that. But I'm wondering when you start thinking about less obvious industries, how can they take advantage of that same idea? Like, how can they take advantage of the fact that right now people's behavior has paused and is potentially shifting how can they demonstrate value that will set them up to steal that market share when people rebound out of this with new behaviors it's it's an interesting idea so there's going to be a lot of opportunity for uh, dtc brands where this is their window to go in and take that spend and try to shift that share where previously they would have had to compete with someone that went to a Walgreens, that went to a Dwayne Reed. Now there is not that opportunity. With that said, and I just said this, but I think there's also an opportunity for Dwayne Reed and Walgreens to really invest in kind of online ordering in pickup to go. Like you've got that, you see that all the time now for Walmart, where it's you can order your groceries online, pick them up when you park at the car- parking lot, and then take it away. I think these are the behaviors that these um, these brands, these retailers need to invest in and understand that this is a landscape that has changed and you might not get direct one-to-one ROI like you did in the past, but it's still going to be worth the investment because again, when this great reset happens, the fact that you did not keep your media going in some form or another, you did not keep your awareness high enough is going to open yourself up for somebody else to take that. And if I was on the flip side, if I was the number two or number three or number four player in the space, I would be excited about the opportunity uh, once this great reset kind of opens up where all this pent up demand wants to go shopping that I can try to change the narrative, even for my own brand, if you will, if you are willing to be aggressive enough. It'll be very interesting to see if there's a playbook that comes out of this in terms of, you know, it's, it's almost adopting D2C like behavior in a for a non D2C brand, right? It's sort of how how are you able to 
to uh, uh, take some of those. I mean, it's really about demonstrating value to the individual, isn't it? I mean, it's if you can demonstrate uh, your the brand value to an individual at this point in time, that value lives on beyond this point, right? This is this is an opportunity to demonstrate it uniquely that will set you up for the period when we come out. And, you know, and especially in, in a lot of categories where behavior is so set and people are so routinized, that's all changing. And this is an opportunity w- when people's behaviors are being reset for you to reestablish the, the value that you bring to them as a brand and take advantage of that. And I think this is where it's important for kind of marketers, the agencies to really uh, understand like, hey, this is a time that we need to be aware that there's a larger health issue that we need to be aware of. But at the same time, we will come out of this. And when we come out of this, this is going to be really a new world for everybody. And taking those kind of learnings that you have now and learning from DTC and learning to change people's behavior to do things like order to go uh, for pickup or even delivery is going to be huge. And I, I, I am like, I'm excited about what that's going to mean because I think there's going to be some innovative players that really do something different, that really uh, identify this opportunity and run with it. And I think you're going to see some shifts of market share that normally you wouldn't have seen for decades happen within a year or two. I think it is an opportunity now for people to innovate in an almost risk-free environment, right? I mean, it because right now you can't go to the store and buy some of these products. So there is an opportunity to try something different, try to change the relationship that you have with consumers, innovate around the way that you go to market and test things out in a way that it's almost accelerated that will, when, once you, once this all comes back, uh, will have set you up for success in the future. And this is a time of change and this is a time of really a lot of opportunity as well. So David, you've given us some really interesting insights on how brands can act in this new world that we're in at the moment. Um, any other uh, recommendations on how you feel brands should be taking advantage of some of the consumer behavior shifts that you've seen um, that are temporary and some that you hypothesize are going to be more permanent? Yeah, I think from a CPG perspective, there's a lot of opportunity because people are going into the grocery stores at a higher rate than we've seen in a long time. And I I think this is not, and we've seen it in the past when there are certain things like the Super Bowl, when there's a hurricane occurring, when there's some event that occurs, but it's very regionalized. Um, This is the first time where at a national level, uh, people are actively going out and shopping. They're actively spending more than they normally have. This is a great opportunity for CPGs to really get in front of those consumers that they might not see every single week or every single month. And by identifying those audiences that are going into a grocery store, that are going into a a big box warehouse, the ability to actually go in and reach that audience and target kind of advertisement to deliver media to highlight like, hey, these are the options that are available. It's not the core brands necessarily. It could still be the core brands. I take that back. But it's the core brands to reemphasize that they're there. But it's also an opportunity to get a brand new market. And I think that's where UM is really set up for success is really to drive that type of activity, drive that experimentation, but do it in a very quick way because this is not going to last forever. Like I'm excited. I believe like, you know, this is something that is happening. I think we'll get out of this. I think we will hopefully become stronger and better prepared the next time this happens. 
But I think this is a unique window that you need someone to guide you through the process. And I don't know, Hugh, if you've got any thoughts there. So I know that our uh, UM shopper marketing team is all over these trends and is actively looking at recommendations uh, about to take advantage of this increased foot traffic that we're seeing in grocery stores. But it's, it's a very good point. I mean, it goes beyond just obviously um, a shopper a, a team. It really is um, incumbent on all of us to think of ways to help our, our, our clients and their brands really innovate and and think differently about how to react to this situation that we're in right now in a way that sets them up for, for success going forward. Uh, it is a unique time, hopefully. <laughs> um, and uh, I think it's an, there is an opportunity within all of this horrific news that we're hearing uh, to try things differently um, and see what sticks. And I think where the opportunities come is when it comes to analytics and location is uh, here's one very clear example. So with nightlife, with bars, restaurants, clubs, uh, you're seeing a big drop off in foot traffic. Like San Francisco saw almost a 55% drop in the past week, and that's going to continue to drop off as things get closed down, as those businesses are no longer kind of open. Um, but there's a very large opportunity where we're seeing a very big uptick in liquor stores, where people are buying alcohol and they're taking something that they might have consumed out and about uh, when they're at a bar or when they're at a club. Now they're back at home they're going to make decisions where they might not have gotten that bottle of alcohol, that beer, that wine. Now it's kind of a wide open territory where they're used to consumption on Friday, Saturday, Thursday night, whatever that is. And now they're going to go to the liquor store. Now they're going to go to the grocery store and they're going to make these purchases. And it's really this interesting opportunity. It's not like delivery, but it's going in and shifting consumer behavior to say, you don't just drink when you're out. Like there's an opportunity when you're at home to actually buy your favorite bottle. That's fascinating. When's uh, the next report coming out? Uh, so the next this report, this next report that we're talking about right now is going to come out a little bit later today, which is Wednesday, March 25th. And then our goal is to release this on a weekly basis uh, for the foreseeable future and really kind of really take the feedback that you provide in a lot of cases where what is the market interested in? What are agencies like UM interested in understanding? Like what what should we be diving in now that we've kind of set the baseline? And really delivering that on a weekly basis and just adjusting, because I think what is going to be uh, really important is on that great reset, location analytics is probably going to be one of the first things that highlights that people are going back out and about. And that should be the moment that people overemphasize media spend, that they work directly with UM to go in and say, what are the aggressive tactics that we need to take once that tick goes up? Because by the time it's already a full tick up, like there's going to be a bunch of people already taking advantage of that. And we need to be there for that's great. Thank you. Uh, look forward to that report when it comes out. Uh, anything new from Foursquare that we should look for coming forward? Any new partnerships? No, I think uh, from a Foursquare standpoint, I think, you know, in the near term, you're going to see a lot more location analytics from us specifically around uh, COVID and really diving into that and really kind of giving insights, not just for marketers, but as businesses overall, but also for uh, entities on like what's right for social good. What are the changes and patterns that we're seeing? I think longer term, we expect that same bounce. Like when we talk with clients, um, they're talking to us about, hey, our stores might be closed, but what else can we do? Can we target to drive delivery? Can we focus on to go? Um, also, they're getting ready to say, give us early warning indicators on when this is changing because we are ready to spend. We are not going in and sheltering for the rest of the year. We want to be the first one out there. We've got pent up debt. We believe in this thesis. Uh, we're number one when it comes to attribution, which is the measurement of media into store visits. We're able to measure almost 
of the digital internet to say, this ad is driving someone into the store. And then is that incremental foot traffic? And I think that's going to be really important coming out of this. Um, when it's the audience segment to understand where have people visited, not just in the last 30 days, but I think people are now going to have to go back and say, show me pre-COVID those audience segments, those mobile devices that I want to reach because I need to get them back into the store. Because if I look back 30 days, there's not going to be a big enough population. So I think the distribution of those segments, the activation against those segments on platforms like Trade Desk, Snapchat are going to be even more important in the quarters, and we're set up for success there. And then when it comes to kind of point of interest and enterprise solutions, this is going to be one of those moments where people find more and more value in location, and they start to understand what additional features can I deliver in my application? What additional features can I uh, implement into my product? That really takes into account location, and we're really excited about that. Thank you. Th well, thanks, Dave. Thanks for spending time to... Uh walk us through the report. As I said, I think it was, there's some really interesting insight uh, in there. I think uh, when, and everyone will see that when they get their hands on the report. One last question. Um, any work from home tips, hacks that you've uncovered in the, in the last 10 days? Um, people appreciate when you wear a suit to a video conference. Like I, nah. <laughs> it's a conversation starter. Like I wore this. So my brother was going to get married uh, in late April in, in Hawaii. And that was canceled. So obvious reasons. Um, but I had this, I had this wedding suit. And so what I actually thought was like, Hey, I'm going to go into a company meeting with this lime mint wedding suit that was designed for Hawaii. And it was a great conversation starter. Everybody enjoyed it. And it kind of brings a little levity into this time of stress. Yeah. Noise canceling headphones. That's my recommendation. <laughs> that is a good one too. Well, again, thank you so much for spending time. I'm sure you're very busy right now, but thanks for spending some time and talking to us on floor nine. No, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Hugh and David, thank you for that great conversation. Uh, and for all our listeners, uh, please check our show notes where we'll be having the link to the Foursquare report uh, listed out down there. Uh, so, so Adam, you want to talk about some news? Yeah, let's do it. Well, one thing uh, I think that's interesting and relevant for our audience is that we're seeing um, a lot of media companies uh, take advantage of uh, this opportunity to, to open up with uh, longer extended free trials um, and certainly open up their content uh, specifically around uh, the pandemic. Um, so we're seeing a lot of you know print publications and their digital editions uh, lifting the paywall for all their pandemic-related content, which is super helpful in getting uh, you know, smart, uh, informed information out to, to the public. Um, and then on the uh, entertainment side, uh, we're seeing just extended trials of things like uh, Hulu and CBS All Access and uh, even Peloton. And in a way, it, it's a great way just to build trust with um, the community that is, that is out there. Um, in other news, the Tokyo Olympics are now officially postponed. Yeah, I think interestingly on the Olympics, uh, that was uh, a key sort of pillar for the launch of, uh, of uh, NBCU's uh, streaming service, Peacock. Um, so very interested to see you know how the Peacock launch uh, does come off without the Olympics. I think in Peacock's favor, uh, we have seen uh, reports that comfort viewing of television shows is uh, on the rise. So uh, things like The Office, which is coming to Peacock, uh, that, that um, we might see, you know, that might be enough in, in the short term, more so than it, it, you know, would be under normal circumstances if people are really looking for that comfort and familiarity um, in these, these times. And speaking of comfort and familiarity, uh, nothing like a brand new Apple product to really make you feel cozy and warm. So Adam, what did Apple announce this week? 
Yeah, there had been rumors swirling for a while um, as a back and forth as to whether Apple was going to hold a spring event, which they some some years they do, some years they don't. Um, it seems like they were planning on doing that, but uh, obviously there are no events happening right now. So they announced um, some uh, minor updates to the MacBook Air and Mac Mini, uh, but the, really the big announcement was uh, a new iPad Pro with a new uh, Magic Keyboard uh, and and built-in trackpad. Um, and I think, you know, the keyboard and trackpad were also rumored for a while. It's a kind of interesting new take on um, how uh, cursors should work in a in a touch uh, touch and trackpad hybrid environment, um, and, which is pretty interesting. But um, I think the other the other major feature um, is that it the new iPads have uh, lidar built into them. Um, so lidar, if you've know the term at all, it's probably, you've probably heard it used in the context of driverless cars. It's how a lot of uh, driverless uh, vehicles uh, sort of understand their surroundings and are able to see the world in 3D. Um, and Apple's now putting that onto an iPad um, and they're billing it as a way to create better augmented reality content. Um, and from what I've seen in the early reviews, uh, you know, if you've used, used an AR app, you kind of have to scan the room, scan the floor or the table that you want to display the AR content on top of. Um, and the LiDAR basically eliminates that step because it's able to see the world in 3D. So it just understands where the floor or the table is uh, immediately. Interesting. And do you think this quickly, will that be used for like volumetric capture of you know 3D content potentially? Or is it more just for like the, the spatial tracking? They're talking about it for AR right now. I think the thing that we're you know, thinking about is, uh, yeah, I think there will also be apps that will allow you to scan content into or scan objects into 3D space. Um, and, you know, right now this is on the iPad. Um, it's being billed as a pro tool for, you know, AR and VR content creators. Uh, but uh, I think we're also expecting this LiDAR to come to at least some of the iPhones uh, later this fall. Well, all right. Well, listeners, keep an eye out for that. The last thing to note here is that their annual Worldwide Developer Conference uh, seems to be the last and only standing um, summit that'll be live streamed. It seems like Google and Facebook have just straight up canceled uh, their summits and some of the other uh, opportunities out there like Snapchat and Adobe um, and the new fronts are all kind of TBD on if they'll be streamed or not. Yeah, there is a uh, a big pause in the world of conferences and events, obviously. Um, I think because of the speed with which we went into lockdown, I think a lot of uh, event organizers weren't able to pivot as quickly to digital online only as they were hoping to be able to. Um, Apple is still committing to doing that. I, I think that they will do it. Um, I think they will find a way to make it work uh, because WWDC is uh, kind of central to Apple's <laughs> entire process. And um, I think that they they basically need it to happen if they are, uh, if they are going to continue with even any semblance of their regular schedule for uh, 2020. Well, if there's one company that is able to pull it off, I place my trust in Apple to do that. With that, uh, listeners, that's our show. Uh, tune in next week as we continue uh, our coverage of the developing COVID-19 situation uh, and its impact on the media industry. Please reach out if you have any questions or topics that you'd like us to address on the show. Uh, you can reach out to me uh, over email, uh, scott.elchison at ipglab.com or much easily, that's not a word, or uh, reach out directly to Adam, which his email address is adam at ipglab.com. Uh, much easier to get in contact with Adam. So send all your requests to Adam. You can also follow us on social media at ipglab for Twitter and Instagram. You can sign up for our newsletter by going to our website, ipglab.com. 
And if you like what you heard, share, tell a friend, uh, give us a rating on iTunes. We greatly appreciate it. So stay safe, stay healthy, and remember to wash your hands. Thank you, and we'll talk soon. Thank you.